0: Welcome to the Delve Spirit and Truth Podcast,
1: where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. Today, we're going to continue to delve into spiritual warfare. Casey, the million-dollar question, can Christians have a demon, or can Christians be possessed?
0: Wow, that is a million-dollar question. There's so much confusion in the church on this topic. Because when we read our translation, there's a lot of interpretation and transliteration that takes place in this picture of whether a Christian can be possessed or oppressed. those are the two big words that you see in a lot of trans, a lot of translations of the Bible. But when you look at the Greek word it simply means to have a demon. So I like how you phrase that um, or rather to be demonized. And the reality is there is no picture of possession. It is actually just something that we make an observation of, about, that someone is extremely demonized, to where it seems as if, much like the Gadarene demoniac, they have lost all control of their faculties, to where the demon has full control from our perspective. And so when we're looking at this picture of whether a Christian can be possessed, in our understanding from the English interpretation, yes and no.
1: So I feel like a lot of us get our understanding, unfortunately, of possession from Hollywood. Sadly, yeah. And so, you know, you think of possession, you think of people floating, walking up, you know, walking backwards up the wall on their hands and feet. You know, we think of being possessed as something far, far different than having some oppression.
0: Correct. And the picture is that it is a spectrum of demonization. To what degree do you have a demon afflicting you? Um, So it's
1: all a picture of affliction. Correct. There's not a difference between oppression and possession.
0: Not from a biblical standpoint. It's based off of our perspective of what we're seeing. When you're looking at boiling it down, can a Christian be possessed in the understanding of ownership? Absolutely not. Because you've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And so we're looking at... We're owned by Jesus. But can that person who is owned by Jesus still be afflicted by a demon? Absolutely. There's no uh, discrimination we see in Scripture of someone being demonized. It has nothing to do with ownership, and has everything to do with affliction.
1: Which Paul tells us that he doesn't want us to be ignorant of the wiles of the devil. So we have quite a few warnings in Scripture for Christians about Affliction. It literally says our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. So that battle is the affliction. It's the same thing. There's not, like, a side battle that's not affliction, and then this other thing called affliction. Like, as Christians, we are in a battle, and that battle is affliction of the enemy. Right. You know, being raised in the conservative background I was raised, it was like, well, we can't be possessed. And so we don't need to worry about that. You know, they can they can oppress us, but they can't possess us. And then the more we studied scripture and we really looked into those words that are transliterated, it is the same word. And it's like demonization. This person's demonization or demonized. this person's has demonization or have a demon.
0: Or it's along the lines of this person had a demon.
1: Right, but there's not like the words oppression or possession. No,
0: that's what we use for clarity based off of what is happening to the person.
1: So that's just our English version of what we think the scripture is trying to say. Exactly. But the original language doesn't say that. No. I think my biggest understanding of this, because it was still kind of confusing to me, it's like, okay, well, so we can be possessed, you know, (laughs) and it's like, okay, well, maybe not. And the best description that I heard was, was this, and it was like, when you get saved... God now has, if you were a hotel, he now has the title deed to the hotel. He owns the hotel. The hotel is his. No one can take it from him. He, It belongs to him. and And there's nothing that can legally change that. But you rent out the rooms. We have free will. We have the ability to seek the Lord or to sin without repentance or to have unforgiveness in our hearts or these different things. So because we rent these rooms out, Ideally, we would have every single room submitted fully to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would be um, able to occupy each room. But the reality is, is that any areas and we have we have in our life that are not submitted to Christ, that are submitted to unforgiveness or um, rebellion, sin, we are allowing the enemy to come hang out in that hotel room, and so they are getting to occupy that space in our hotel. Well, if you have nine-tenths of the hotel rented out to pornography and addiction and some really bad things, it can really make a house party, cause a lot of disturbance. You can get the cops called to the hotel because it really seems chaotic. And that's the picture of a Christian that's really opened up a lot of space in their life for the enemy. They still might be saved at the core, but they might be suffering a lot of affliction
0: and i i personally like this analogy as well of the hotel and and we understand no analogy is absolutely perfect but to give some credence to that scripturally in ephesians 4:27 we're told to not give place topos to the enemy meaning a an access point meaning a place of residence to where we're not allowing them to have a place to abide and so when we're when we're told to not give place that that doorway that is going to open up opportunity for the enemy is that laundry list of things you described. It's going to be sin. It's going to be disobedience. It's going to be trauma. It's going to be a lot of things. And I've mentioned trauma because as you've listened to our inner healing session, that leads to a belief system that is in opposition to truth. And so we can go through a lot of things experientially that lead us to believe lies and deception that then give opportunity for the enemy uh, to take up residence within us.
1: Yeah, it's not the trauma itself that is the open door. It's the beliefs that take place in that moment of trauma. Right.
0: And so there's this picture of don't give place. And a lot of times you'll hear Christians use the term a foothold. It's like if someone's trying to slam the door on you and they just shove their foot. In the doorway, right? And they're like, no, 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 no. You open the door a little bit, right? You give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And that's kind of the picture you see with the demonic.
1: And to further this biblical illustration, there's a parable about a strong man. Casey, can you tell us about that parable?
0: Y'all remember when we were talking about this this last time with spiritual warfare, um, with this strong man, there was an accusation against Jesus, about him, by the power of Beelzebub, casting out demons, and Jesus—that was,
1: that was Pharisees, right? Yeah, that that was, was
0: Pharisees. That would be the religious. I want to clarify when I when we use the term religious, we're referring to legalists, right? We're not against religion; we're against legalism. When we're looking at this picture, Jesus goes on to expound in um, Matthew 12 that every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city of house divided against itself shall not stand. And that's verse twenty five. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then this kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Wherefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house he that is not with me is against me and he that gathers not with me scatters abroad. There is this principle of needing God in his authority to go before you to bind the demonic.
1: And not to mention the the strong man was in like the person's house.
0: Yeah, he was so already like, in the house.
1: Which shows the picture of like the hotel rooms that have the strong man occupying the room. Correct. And so what's this whole binding thing?
0: So we also see this principle in Matthew 18, to whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And this is a picture of authority. So there's a lot of things that that encompasses. It's not just strictly spiritual warfare, but it's speaking to authority. And when you're dealing with spiritual warfare, it's all about authority. So when demons come to afflict believers, it's on the basis of the authority that you grant them. To whomever you yield yourself servant to, that is your master.
1: We literally can't have authority without having an understanding, number one, of who God is, and number two, who he's made us.
0: Yes, who he's made us to be. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're co-heirs with Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. There's so much reality to that that we, regardless of whether we recognize it or not, have been granted authority. Now, it is those who haven't recognize that authority that they don't have the ability um, to deal with the demonic because they're sitting in unbelief basically
1: so they could literally say the same words but it's not it's not a spell it's not a magic incantation absolutely so without authority and understanding it's not doesn't have power behind it
0: yeah there's not going to be power or authority because of your belief and your and, and again everything within the Christian faith has to do with faith has to do with belief and so it is by faith by grace through faith that we are saved it is by grace through faith that we stand
1: in second timothy one of my favorite verses it says we're not given a spirit of fear but power love and a sound mind so you can say in the name of jesus i bind you know xyz but if you're operating in a spirit of fear and not in a spirit of power love and a sound mind what are the results going to be casey
0: yeah you're gonna <laughs> not be effective at all the Demons will laugh in your face at that point.
1: So when you start having an understanding of of God and his authority and who you are in Christ, then whenever we do bind, I just want to give you some practical. There's not just one way to do it. You no. can. Um, it's
0: like you said, I want, to, I want to add to that. It's not some magical incantation that I have to pray this way. I have to say something this way. I have to speak this certain way. It literally is rooted in your belief of the authority of God granted unto you, again, not your authority, but the authority of God granted unto you. And so, when you are rooted and grounded in that truth, then you can speak with authority and see results.
1: Right. So, if I have um, an understanding that that I am praying for someone, and that there is a, let's say, a spirit of fear, and so we we pray about that, and then I feel released to bind it, I might just say something like, "In the name of Jesus, I bind a spirit of fear."
0: And I want to clarify something. So, Jenny just said that she might say, right, this is not some internal prayer that we do. We have no example of Christ speaking quietly to himself, praying unto God for a demon to be removed out of anyone. And again, Christ is our perfect example. And he says, follow me, be my disciples, do as I do. As I have been granted authority, so give I unto you, and I send you out in my name, in my authority, Jesus never once prayed quietly to himself. He always spoke with authority, and it wasn't his tone, it wasn't his pitch, it wasn't the frequency and range of vigor in how he spoke. It was simply an understanding of authority. He spoke it loud and clear so that the demon heard, and the demon has to yield to the authority.
1: And every time scripturally, I never see him command the disciples or even in his great commission in Matthew 16, he doesn't say, pray to the Father and ask the Father to to cast out demons. He says, cast out demons.
0: Yes, you go do this.
1: It's kind of like when he says, say to the mountain, be cast into the ocean mm-hmm. and it will be done. Like, you know, the, the faith, the grain of a mustard seed. Right. And so he doesn't say, pray to God and ask God to move the mountain. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big shift that I had to learn in my upbringing is that everything I did was a prayer to God. God, will you heal them? God, will you help this? God, will you move that mountain? God, will you, you know, bind the enemy? And I didn't see a lot of those things happening. Right. But I wasn't doing what Jesus commanded, which is say to the mountain, mm-hmm. I wasn't speaking to the problem. Or praying, you know, I wasn't saying mountain, get into the ocean in Jesus' name. I was like these more like, "Um, God, will you move this mountain, you know, if it's your will. Please. If you just study spiritual warfare and a lot of the people that are very experienced in this, they all tell you to speak out loud, to address the demon, to say to it, Right. I bind you in Jesus name. I cast you out. A lot of people will send the demon like to the to the pit in Jesus name or to the feet of Jesus right. or just tell them to leave in Jesus name.
0: What whatever phrase you want to use. Again, it's not it's not some magical incantation that we're dealing with. It has to do with authority and faith. And understand this that a lot of believers and and if you're listening to this and you You're like, well, I don't know about that. It sounds like a lot of authority and a lot of responsibilities being placed on us as believers. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And a lot of people, and even Christians, I rarely hear it from a non-Christian, well, Christians will say, you can't do that. You're claiming too much credit. I'm claiming no credit. I'm claiming no authority. I'm believing and doing as my king told me to do. He's gone away to a far country. He's left me to steward in this life until he returns. And so what authority he's given to me, that authority I need to walk in.
1: And, you know, one could rebut them and say, actually, because you're not doing these things, you're not walking in obedience to the commands of Christ. And that's something that's scary. And it's something, you know, you turn around and you look from the other perspective.
0: Right. And uh, also look at this and go... All right. What is our responsibility as believers? It is to be obedient unto what he has asked us to do. We're not doing this out of selfish ambition. We're not doing this to glorify ourselves. not to say that some people haven't, but you could say that of any sphere of Christian ministry, someone has been self-indulgent and exalted themselves in some way or another. Um, but we're looking at this as a place of... Trusting that God has the authority and that he has given it to us.
1: This also goes right along with discipleship. You know, when I'm working with someone, whenever we are um, doing spiritual warfare, when we're taking care of things in their life, What happens is there ends up being a recognition of the difference between their thoughts and the enemy's attacks. I was just talking to a friend yesterday and she was talking about, you know, before that we had prayed and and she'd gotten um, just supernatural freedom, healing, deliverance um, from something that she was diagnosed with that was like a medical condition. And she said one of the biggest shifts for her was recognizing that those thoughts that she was thinking weren't her own, that it was the enemy. And she says ever since then, she's always recognized it to be the enemy and can separate it from her own thoughts. You know, if you, in your own mind, you, you're you not going to disagree with yourself because it just seems crazy.
0: And I, I like exactly what you're going on with this. But what a lot of people might not understand is that the way in which we are commanded not to be deceived by the enemy it has to do with the area of the mind, right? The strongholds, the footholds, have to do in the realm of belief, which is the realm of the soul, right? So when we're looking at how we can be deceived, we're not going to be deceived by his devices. Well, the reason why Paul encourages us, encourages us not to is that the strongholds that need to be torn down are in the area of the mind, what's so problematic for so many believers is they have had these thoughts for so long in their life that they cannot distinguish those thoughts from demonic influence. And and it's not until you have this supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit that he's going to reveal those things.
1: Right. For instance, if you are really struggling with hatred, and there's someone that you just can't stand, and every time they do something, it rubs you the wrong way. And you're like, I knew that they're like this, and they're just terrible. And there's all these thoughts of anger and bitterness and hatred and condemnation. And that's the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13, walking in love. That's the opposite of hoping the best and um, persevering and suffering well. You know, that's those are not godly thoughts. And they very well might not be your thoughts. And so if, say, a spirit of hatred is called out in you and bound in Jesus' name and um, leaves for a season, then if you open that door again to hatred because of bitterness or unforgiveness or a new occurrence that's happened, and then all of a sudden you're hearing these thoughts again, you're like, oh, Like, that's not me. I don't have to hate this person. I can actually choose to give them grace and to hope the best in them. I don't have to just assume the worst of them. And so you start not lining up with those thoughts. The same thing with like a spirit of anxiety. And it's like, I'm just constantly overwhelmed. And I'm just like worried all the time. And, and you don't Like those thoughts are not from the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is peace Hmm. and joy and love. And so you can't have peace and love and then also anxiety.
0: And I want to make a distinction for people because a lot of times, and I have to do this a lot in my sermons too, because a lot of times people want to take things out of context. Understand what we're saying. We are not saying that every emotion you ever feel or every thought you ever feel is demonic. We are not those who say there's a demon under every bush, there's a demon under every stone. I do believe there's probably more demonic activity in your life than you realize. Um, But to say that everything, no, we're not going to attribute every thought to that. But what we want to make as a distinction is those excessively compulsive thoughts. Those excessively compulsive areas of your life to where you feel like, I just can't control it or I just deal with this and this is just part of who I am.
1: Overwhelm, overwhelming anger, overwhelming anxiety.
0: These things are not of the soul. Um, those are areas of the soul that were opened by your choices and by your offenses or wrongdoing that has occurred to you. But those were the strong, those were the foothold that led to a stronghold to where now there are demons that are, Compulsively amplifying those beliefs to where you think they're your thoughts, but they are truly not.
1: And many times these things might very well be psychologically diagnosed. As something in you and and you might even be told um, you know this is this is your thing this is your diagnosis you'll never overcome this you can only cope with this and um, you know I had a close friend and that was her she was she was told xyz this is what you have you'll never overcome this you know don't try and engage in this and then after we prayed she got freedom and healing and it went away and she got off all of her medicine and she had freedom but it was kind of confusing because The diagnosis lined up with the symptoms and so she's like but but you know the diagnosis made so much sense
0: right but when you're looking and we don't want to get too far off track here but just to clarify when you're looking at a lot of diagnosis in the psychological realm they're just observing things from the physical standpoint without any spiritual insight whatsoever they're just making observations and so yeah the diagnosis is going to be accurate but that's going to be a label from a strictly humanistic perspective, has nothing to do with the spiritual nature of who we are.
1: You know, I think of the scripture whenever the boy was having seizures and his dad came to Jesus and and wanted prayer for his son, you notice that Jesus didn't pray for healing, he cast out a deaf and dumb spirit. Now, nine tenths of Americans would be like, oh, the boy had seizures. You know, he was probably diagnosed with XYZ. And we would think we need to pray for healing, but mm-hmm. that's not what the Lord of the universe did. Right. He recognized this physical symptoms as a spirit, treated it as such, and he got healing.
0: Right. And again, caveat we're not saying that every mentally diagnosed disorder. Or physical. Or physical is (laughs) demons, okay? Um, We understand that there are chemical imbalances to a degree, um, but I would say most, if not on a whole, the um, psychological community addresses everything from a humanistic perspective and so is very devoid of any spiritual insight to the reality that most of what you see people diagnosed with probably has a stronghold of the demonic.
1: So I want to talk about continuing on our um, talk about, you know, the hotel and open doors. I want to talk about how we can open doors in our life to the demonic and how to close those doors. The four most common open doors in people's life are number one, the door of fear. So behind the door of fear, there's things like worry, unbelief, drugs and alcohol. You know, you're going to those things to numb the fear. Apathy, isolation, anxiety, need for control. And your need for control can look different with different personalities. And some personalities do go towards apathy and they just ignore. You know, some personalities go towards numbing out with pornography, drugs, alcohol, overshopping, just overeating. TV.
0: How right. about just vegging out on television?
1: Uh, Facebook. Scrolling.
0: Yeah, social media.
1: Social media. All day on that. And so the door of fear can eBay. look... can look different in different people's lives then there's the door of hatred hatred sounds like a really strong word but really a lot of people deal with this door because behind it there's unforgiveness there's bitterness envy slander gossip anger anger you know self-hatred and low self-worth
0: when you were mentioning unforgiveness that is one clear parabolic teaching that jesus gave That the one who doesn't forgive will be delivered to the tormentors. Mm -hmm. And who's the tormentors? Principalities, powers. Rulers of darkness. Rulers of darkness. All of these areas in not the physical realm Mm -hmm. that are our opposition.
1: And just a side note, there has been at least three or four people I've prayed with that have gone in and done some hard forgiveness work. And their bodies actually physically responded with healing, um, healing from different things from autoimmune diseases to arthritis. It's been really interesting to see the physical difference that happens.
0: It's Jesus has preached on this so many times in the realm of forgiveness. We don't really have a full understanding of the implication of how we are body, soul, and spirit and how intertwined all of those things are, that when we forgive, demonic strongholds they're released physical ailments that we were holding in our body because of that hatred. What bitterness is like a uh, rot, rot to the bones. And so you look at that and go, Oh, there, there is a lot of implication to these areas.
1: Yeah. One of my clients that's a nutritionist had told me that they've actually proven that unforgiveness, bitterness, leeches calcium out of the bones. And so that scripture is literally true. Even in MDs, whenever they, or DOs, whenever they go to school, I think both they teach on the body mind connection and not only that but we have a spirit body connection <laughs> that you know, going back to Jesus and casting out the demon and the boy stopped having seizures there is a f- there was a spiritual thing happening and it was manifesting in physical problems right So also there's a door of sexual sin, you know, that can be opened in your life if you were ever raped or molested, if you've committed adultery, if you've looked at pornography, if you've had fornication, if you have perversity, you know, if you have years of looking at things that you shouldn't look at and it's created a stronghold of perversity in your mind, you know, this is a real problem nowadays.
0: Oh, it's gripped. It's gripped our entire culture.
1: You know, there are high school students that can't even get regularly aroused without drug help because their perversion is so bad now Mm -hmm. that normal things don't do it for them
0: yeah it's it's sad to see at the state of our culture and this is where the church has been very silent in a lot of areas and we don't understand that there can be strongholds undergirding a lot of that
1: we would not have sex trafficking if we didn't have a perversion problem absolutely and so the last door that can open this is the occult and witchcraft and this includes a lot of different things. It can be anything from fortune telling and tarot cards, Ouija's, seances, but it can also be things, I'm not saying it always is, but there can be things like Reiki, astrology, yoga, um, even being manipulative It is a form of witchcraft because you're trying to assert your will over someone else.
0: It's asserting control over someone else.
1: Um, Participation in covens, witchcraft. You know, there's a lot of modern day paganism that's really popular, New Age practices, casting curses, and rebellion. You know, what's the word say about rebellion?
0: Or we're told rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft.
1: I know I had to repent for my um, high school years whenever I found that Oh, up. just high school?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um, so it's really easy to close these doors. We just go in and we repent of any of these things and then close those doors again. Now, if it is something that involves someone else, we also have to make sure and forgive, you know, if we were molested, if we were raped, if someone else um, is the one that pressured us into doing the Ouija board, or something like that, then we need to forgive. And that's also part of closing that door. It can also be back to inner healing, there could be a system of beliefs that feel true that are keeping that door open. You know, maybe your need for control is really stemming from a place that you feel powerless, you don't feel enough, and those are lies that you're believing because we know that through Christ we're more than conquerors, and that's the truth. And so in this place, we have to go in and we have to deal with beliefs. And so that would really be more on the inner healing side, and once we get inner healing, then it's easy to cast out the the correlating, you know, afflicting spirit. So if you want to know more about spiritual warfare, I strongly suggest you study. You know, there's lots of great books out there that can really help you start identifying things in your life. There's even like some programs like Freedom in Christ or the Freedom Manual is a good one that can go through and kind of help you do some self-evaluation and some checklists. I had a friend that was doing the freedom manual and she said, Jenny, I didn't really think I struggled with anger at all because she's not an angry person. She's very quiet. She never speaks wrong or anything. But when she was going through that manual, it it was saying things under the anger part that were like, you have thoughts that are like this or you think these things. And she's like, oh, I totally do that. (laughs) And so for the first time she recognized anger in her life. And so she was able to repent of it. You know, sometimes we put prettier words on top of anger like oh I'm just frustrated (laughs) you know and so but those things are just prettier ways of calling issues out so what does freedom feel like you know in my life I've done lots of lots of inner healing some deliverance and the difference in my life like I have friends that have known me since like third grade and I remember hanging out with one one time and she's like yeah I was talking with our other friend that also knew me since third grade and she's like we were just talking about how much you've changed just how different you are and I was like yeah I feel like I've changed I feel like I've changed from the inside I feel like I spent years trying to grow good fruit on a bad tree and that that's what I felt like I was you know religion had taught me to do was super glue that Hobby Lobby fruit onto this bad tree." And that when I actually went in and I dealt with wrong beliefs and I encountered God and, and just learned of his goodness and his mercy and his love towards me, it changed the way that I respond to things like there would actually be peace in my life instead of me trying to be peaceful and then on the inside be mad, you know, and so I actually just was less triggered and I had actual love for people, even reading the scriptures. I had studied Exodus two or three times gone through really great, intense Exodus studies, and, um, you know, gone through BSF, gone through Bible college and studied Exodus, multiple different ways. D group had gone through Exodus. And then after all this healing work, I remember one day I was studying Exodus, and I was so hit by the power and the love of God that I just wept. And so even my response to scripture, was different after healing and deliverance. You know, like I've said, I've seen people that had diagnoses before of anxiety or depression or OCD and things like that that then had no more symptoms. It was interesting. I've seen people that have had physical healing, back injuries, arthritis, autoimmune diseases, that then those things also went away. While we're not saying that all those things are demonic, we are saying that sometimes they are. And when you get to a place of freedom and your internal thought life is lined up with thankfulness. I have such a thankful thought life now. Like used to, I would get so angry at Casey for leaving like socks on the ground. And now I'm like, you know, God, I'm so thankful. Yeah, I broke her down. I have a husband. And it's not like I'm trying to be thankful. Like actually am thankful. (laughs) You know, I would love to get some more testimonies on here of inner healing and deliverance and what it's done for people there was one person that I worked with and they came in and they were just so down and like on their physical countenance they just looked down they couldn't make eye contact their shoulders were hunched they were just so depressed and they had gone through some pretty bad trauma and after a couple appointments and getting healing and getting deliverance Literally, like, they sat up straighter. They had a twinkle in their eye. Like, someone that knew them called me and was like, oh, my gosh, they've completely changed. I feel like I have my person back. And they were just astounded.
0: This area of of deliverance really falls in the realm of bearing one another's burdens in the body of Christ, that we have the authority to be able to see these things, bear the burdens up with inner healing, with um, deliverance, with counseling, with just good discipleship in the word, and just see so much of literally the things that we've seen, the things that you've described here, of you can see a change to where those shoulders are not heavy anymore. It's like a burden is lifted. These things that held them in captivity, these chains that held them back, it it is a beautiful thing to see joy and thankfulness really be the umpire of their life.
1: There is one wife, the husband I had worked with, We both of us were in there, like three or four sessions. And he came back and he's like, my wife wants to know what you did to me. And <laughs> and he something had happened where normally he would have blown up and gotten really mad. And just his natural reaction now was, well, we need to look at it from all the perspectives. Yeah. And she was shocked. She was like, who are you? And they've been married, what, how long?
0: 25 years. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so um, it, it's really quite life changing to hmm. see the differences, and And a lot of it's deliverance based. If you feel like that you've needed breakthrough for a long time, that there's areas in your life that you've struggled, that you've sought the Lord, that you know the scripture, that you've thrown truth at it over and over again, that you've quoted scripture at it, you've prayed about it, and you still haven't had breakthrough, you might have a stronghold in your life and you need inner healing and deliverance.
0: And there might be areas of your life to where it just almost seems compulsive. Like, why are you running to the fridge?
1: Why are you running to pornography every time that you're upset?
0: And why, why are you running to, well, I need to veg out and decompress for three, four hours an evening
1: over shopping. Like I know that I can't afford this, but I just want, I just need this one more thing or I have to work these extra hours. I just, you know, your, your worth is being found in, in your performance. There might be something that is demonically empowering those compulsions.
0: So where do you go from here? You recognize that there are areas in your life, that there are strongholds. First, I want to just encourage you, find a church that believes this to be true, and that is equipped to handle this, that they are rooted and grounded in the Word of God, that they believe in the active empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and that there is not a contradiction between orthodoxy and charismatic expression of faith, and that those things can go hand in hand and for you to start studying the Word of God to see who you are in Christ, start to see that God is good as a Father and that He has called you to freedom, and that you can actually do some self-deliverance. You can address those demonic compulsions that you recognize in yourself, bind them out loud, and cast them out out loud in Jesus' mighty name. And then what you do at the very Mm -hmm. end... To see that you need to maintain freedom is to invite Holy Spirit to come and fill you or or peace to come and fill you or God to come and fill you. Whatever verbiage you want to use, it, it doesn't matter. Like we've said, it's an attitude of faith and authority and that you are filling that empty space with the Holy Spirit.
1: And so next time I'd really like to talk about the orphan spirit. The orphan spirit is, I think, one of the number one problems in the Christian church. And when we can start to recognize it, we can start battling it, repenting of it, and overcoming it.
0: So, if this podcast has blessed you by giving you a deeper understanding of who God is and has helped you grow in your relationship with Him, we would like you to share with your friends who would benefit from these conversations. And also, if there is a particular topic you would like Jenny or me to discuss, let us know by visiting our landing page, delve with us dot info and dropping us an
1: email until next time we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth